0: Chapter 18 of Post Haste. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Post Haste by R. M. Ballantine Chapter 18 Business Interfered with in a Remarkable Manner. The Modest Estimate which mrs bones had formed of her penmanship turned out to be erroneous and her opinion that there was not a man in the post office able to read it was ill founded she was evidently ignorant of the powers and intelligence of the blind division to make this more plain we will follow the letter you and i reader will post ourselves as it were and pass through the general post office unstamped At a few minutes to 6 p.m., the mouth is wide enough to admit us bodily. Mr. Bones has just put in his epistle and walked away with the air of a man who feels that he has committed himself, and is in for it. He might have posted it at an office or a pillar nearer home, but he has an idea, founded no doubt on experience, that people especially policemen, are apt to watch his movements and prefers a longish walk to the general. There, we take a heather and descend with the cataract into the basket. On emerging in the great sorting room, somehow, we catch sight of the bones epistle at once. There is no mistaking it. We should know its sturdy appearance and airy folding not to mention bad writing, among ten thousand. Having been turned with its stamp in the right direction at the facing tables and passed under the stamping machines without notice, it comes at last to one of the sorters and effectually, though briefly, stops him. His rapid distributive hand comes to a dead pause. He looks hard at the letter, frowns, turns it upside down, turns his head a little on one side, can make nothing of it, puts it on one side, and continues his work. But at the blind division, to which it is speedily conveyed, our letter proves a mere trifle. It is nothing to the hieroglyphics which sometimes come under the observation of the blind officers. One of these officers gazes at it shrewdly for a few seconds. William Stiggs, I think, he says, appealing to a comrade. Yes, replies the comrade. Number six, little lady, no alley o' oh, little alley, bring, bringing a uh, Birmingham. Just so the thing is made out almost as quickly as though it had been written in copperplate, and the letter, redirected in red ink, finds its way into the Birmingham mailbag. So far, so good. But there is many a slip twixt the cup and the lip, and other elements were more successful than bad writing in preventing Mr. William Stiggs from receiving that letter. When the mailbag containing it was put into the traveling post office van. Mr. Bright passed in after it. Our energetic sorter was in charge of the van that night and went to work at once. The letters to be dropped at the early stages of the journey had to be commenced even before the starting of the train. The letter did not turn up at first. The officials, of whom there were six in the van, had leathered their sorting-table and arranged many of the letters, and the limited mail was flying north at full speed before the Bones' epistle found its appropriate pigeon-hole. For it must be understood that the vans of the traveling post-office, the T.P.O., as it is familiarly called by its friends, are fitted up on one side with a long, narrow table, above which are numerous pigeonholes, arranged somewhat like those of the sorting tables in the non-travelling post offices. There is a suggestive difference, however, in the former. Their edges are padded to prevent the sorter's knuckles and noses from being damaged in the event of violent jolting. The sides and ends of the vans are paddled all round to minimize their injuries in the event of an accident. Beyond this padding, however, there are no luxuries. No couches or chairs, only a few things like bicycle saddles attached to the tables, astride which the sorters sit in front of their respective pigeonholes. On the other side of the van are the pegs on which to hang the mailbags, a lamp and wax for sealing the same, and the apparatus for lowering and lifting the net which catches the bags. Everything connected with railways must needs be uncommonly strong, as the weight of materials, coupled with high speed, subjects all the parts of a carriage to extremely violent shocks. Hence, the back-catching affair is a powerful iron frame with rope netting, the moving of which, although aided by a pulley and heavy weight, tries the strength of a strong man. Nimly worked the sorters, as they swept by town and field, village, tunnel, bridge, and meadow, for time may not be wasted when space between towns is being diminished at a rate of forty or fifty miles an hour, and chaos has to be reduced to order. The registered letter clerk sat in one corner in front of a set of special pigeonholes with a sliding cover, which could be pulled over all like a blind and locked if the kirk should have occasion to quit his post for a moment. While some were sorting, others were bagging and sealing the letters. Presently, the junior sorter, whose special duty it is to manipulate the gnat, became aware that a bag-exchanging station drew nearer. His eyes might have assured him of this, but officers of the traveling post office become so expert with their ears as to no stations by the peculiarity of the respective sounds connected with them, caused, it might be, by the noise of tunnels, cuttings, bridges, or even slighter influences. Going quietly to the apparatus above referred to, the junior sorter looked out at the window and lowered the net, which, instead of lying flat against the van, now projected upwards of three feet from it as he did so something flashed about his feet he leaped aside and gave a shout fearful live creatures were sometimes sent by post he knew and serpents had been known before that to take an airing in post office vans as well as the great sorting room of saint martin's le grand a snake had only a short time before been observed at large on the floor of one of the night mail sorting carriages on the London and Northwestern Railway, which, after a good deal of confusion and interruption to the work, was killed. This flashed into his mind, but the moment was critical, and the junior sorter had no time to indulge in private little weaknesses. Duty required prompt action. About a hundred yards from the approaching station, a mailbag hung suspended from a massive wooden frame, The bag weighed nearly eighty pounds. It was fitted so exactly in its place, with reference to the approaching train, that its neck was caught to a nicety in a fork, which swept it with extreme violence off its hook and laid it in the net. This process, reversed, had been at the same moment performed on the bag given out by the train. To prevent the receiving and delivering apparatus from causing mutual destruction and passing each other, the former is affixed to the upper, the latter to the lower, part of the van. There was a rather severe jerk. The junior sorter exerted his powers, raised the net, and hauled in the bag, while the train with undiminished speed went thundering on. "'What was that I saw on the floor?' asked the junior sorter, looking anxiously round as he set the mailbags down. Only two white mice, replied Bright, who was busy in front of his pigeonholes. They nibbled themselves out of a parcel under my very nose. I made a grab at them, but they were too quick for me. Isn't it strange, observed the registered leather clerk, sealing one of the bags which had just been made up that people will break the law by sending live animals through the post? More strange, it seems to me, returned Bright, as he tied up a bundle of leathers, that the people who do it can't pack properly." There's the next station, said the junior sorter, proceeding once more to the net. (whistles) Ooooooh, shrieked the steam whistle, as the train went crashing towards the station. Bright looked out, The frame and its mailbags were all right and ready. The net was lowered. Another moment and the mailbags were swept into the van, while the outgoing bags were swept off the projecting arm into the fixed net of the station. The train went through the station with a shriek and a roar. There was a bridge just beyond. The junior sorter forgot to haul up the net, which caught some object close to the bridge. No one knew what or how. No one ever does on such occasions. The result was that the whole apparatus was demolished. The side of the van was torn out, and Mr. Bright and the junior sorter, who were leaning against it at the time, were sent, in a shower of woodwork, burst bags and leathers, into the air. The rest of the van did not leave the rails, And the train shot out of sight in a few seconds, like a giant war rocket, leaving wreck and ruin behind. There are many miraculous escapes in this world. Mr. Bright and the junior sorter illustrated this truth by rising unhurt from the debris of their recent labors, and began sadly to collect the scattered mails. These, however, were not, like their guardians, undamaged. There were several fatal cases, and among these was the Bones Epistle. That important document had been caught by a mass of timber and buried beyond recovery in the ballast of the line. But why pursue this painful subject further? It is sufficient to say that although the scattered mails were carefully collected, resorted, and finally, as far as possible, delivered, THE LEATHER WITH WHICH WE HAVE SPECIALLY TO DO, NEVER REACHED ITS DESTINATION. INDEED, IT NEVER MORE SAW THE LIGHT OF DAY, BUT REMAINED IN THE HOLE WHERE IT HAD BEEN BURIED, AND THUS IT CAME TO PASS THAT MR. WILLIAM Stiggs FAILED TO MAKE HIS APPEARANCE ON THE APPOINTED NIGHT OF THE FIFTEENTH, AND ABEL BONES WAS CONSTRAINED TO VENTURE ON HIS DEED OF DARKNESS ALONE. ON THE APPOINTED NIGHT, HOWEVER, Tuddy did not fail to do her best to frustrate her father's plans. After a solemn and last consultation with her mother, she left her home with fluttering heart and dry tongue and made for the general post office. End of chapter 18